0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Really glad you're here today. Awesome singing there. That was pretty cool. And I just want to invite you, uh, maybe singing's not your forte, and you're thinking, well, i just kind of like to get to something besides the singing right now. Uh, I just want to encourage you to just give it a try, you know, just to, you know, maybe at first you mouth the words, and then maybe some vocals come out. Uh, and, you know, don't, 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 it doesn't matter how you sound, you know, I mean, if you stand next to me, you'll hear the worst singing ever. Uh, But I don't, I'm not shy about doing it. And just want to encourage you because there's so much power in the words we're singing. And then you add music to it and it just kind of just ramps it up internally for you, but also and just uh, congregationally, corporately together, what we experience. Just want to encourage you that you might move further in that direction just a little bit and just allow yourself to enjoy that with us. So this is our third week in our series uh, on Uh, as we're on unstuck and I just really appreciate your comments and it's been so meaningful to me to read your emails and uh, your comment cards uh, that you turn in on Sunday and I can tell this series is having an amazing impact on people as they've come to understand just a little bit better about why we get stuck and then how ways that we can get unstuck and primarily we're talking spiritually at least in the first part of this series uh, that we've been in. You know, I have people talk to me all the time, and, you know, we talk about struggles, we talk about uh, their walk with God, and we talk about where they end up feeling stuck in like life, and then when we get down to it, and I, I kind of feel this, when we get really honest and we get down to this place, it often boils down to this, that many times we're stuck in life primarily, not all the time, but primarily because we're stuck in our relationship with God, When we get stuck in our relationship with God, then that affects every other part of our life and we can end up stuck overall as we go through life. And so what we're doing in this first part of the series is talking basically about how can I get unstuck in my relationship with God so that I can move forward and there's not something between me and God, there's something that's prohibiting me from being able to experience the life that he's called me to live. Because what happens is, when I get, uns- when I get stuck, and, I, and this is kind of speaking from just personal experience here, uh, that when I get in a place where I'm stuck it en- with God, that it ends up creating or causing what I'll call a crisis of faith, uh, and, uh, or that uh, my doubts get greater than my faith. So if I get stuck in this place in my relationship with God, I get there. And when we have a crisis of faith, what happens is, uh, is that we end up thinking that it's all about us. Because if we have true faith, then it's all about who? It's all about God, right? But if I have a crisis of faith, and I'm wondering where God is right now in this moment in time, then what happens is is I become the center of my world, and I become the source, I become the strength, and oh my gosh, there's just too much to handle when that happens. And so I realize that I get, you know, uh, depressed or I get uh, feeling anxiety. I get consumed by worries and, and all the things that can happen to us when we place ourselves in the center. And then why, so what the goal of this series is to take ourselves out of that cotton-picking center, put God back in the center, and then be able to walk with him in faith and not be stuck in that place. So we've been in Romans 6, 7, and 8, where we're going to be today. And Pastor John, a few weeks ago, he started in Romans chapter 6. We talked about the whole idea of uh, changing the beliefs we have that defeat us. And uh, we said that day that your beliefs determine your behaviors. And so we need to you know, take care of our beliefs first before we go externally to try to take care of our behaviors. We can't do it from the outside in. We have to do it from the inside Out And we looked at that. That day, I'll just remind you a little bit about what we've talked about. Uh, That day, what he said was, he said, every one of us is born as a sinner. So that would be the label we have right on our forehead. It's stamped there. It says sinner. That's how we're born. And so, and this place, there's absolutely no way I can please God absolutely no way I can please God. In fact, it says I'm actually an enemy of God when I'm in this place. But if I look at the law, and the law is the Ten Commandments, I look at the Ten Commandments, I say, I may want to keep one of those laws. I may want to do what is right. may have that internal just draw to be moved towards God, but I can't do it. I'm unable to do it because of my sinfulness, my sin nature that I have. I'm unable to keep God's law. So as long as I'm here, I can't keep God's rules or God's laws. In fact, I don't even want to, honestly, because I'm just living for myself anyway. So, why would I want to keep God's laws? Because they seem so restrictive in that way. So, what happens is I say yes to Jesus Christ, and now I take that label off that says sinner, and a new label comes on, and now I'm a saint. We talked about this several, you know, the last two weeks. I'm now a saint. And so here I am. I have a new nature. I'm no longer a sinner. And I'm now a saint. I have a new title, a new identity. And in this place, I move move and I see God's law. I see God's word. I see God's commandments. And I see them as good. And I want to keep them. I want to keep them. But I still carry the old nature with me, even though I have a new identity. When I die and go to heaven someday, I'll, I'll be a saint. But I'll be a perfected saint. That's when I'm Going to be perfect in that place. But in the meantime, in the middle, right here where we're all living today, this is where we all exist right now. I'm in this place right now where I am a saint who still sins. Put it another way I'm a saint who can still sin. Can. That's an operative word there. I'm a saint who can still sin. We have this sinful nature that's calling us to be fulfilled. And so, if we give into that sinful nature, then we can still sin. But here's the key. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to understand. We don't have to give into that nature. We don't have to give into that nature. In fact, we can live without sin. Now, only one person's ever done that. Jesus Christ himself. Only one person has lived without sin. But that is what goal, that's the goal that God has for us in that perfected state someday. But in this in between. He wants us to live for him and to remove sin from my life. First Peter says that he says in first Peter says, be holy as I am holy. So he calls us to that standard. So now we're in Christ, and that's what the Bible says. It's in Christ is the term it uses. We have this new power that's available to us that allows us to be able to, um, to accomplish what God's called us to actually accomplish. So that was Romans six, okay? So that's kind of a heads up. We all looked at that in Romans six. Now Romans seven that we looked at last week, we talked about the struggle we have in this in between state. And Paul goes on and on. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and it's just kind of this cycle, and I don't seem to be get get out of it. And you remember, Paul's like the greatest Christian who ever lived, outside of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I still struggle with this whole place of being in a sin, having my sin problem. And we ended last week with these verses that are at the top of your message notes. So if you grab your message notes out, uh, that would be awesome. I'm going to show you some, but I don't seem to have any, but I don't need them, so uh, here we go. Uh, I got my own notes. So you know know what they are. They're in your program. they look like message notes, okay? Whatever those are. And you can pull that out right at the top. I've got the verses from Romans 7 we ended with last week. I want to start with this week. Also, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 8. When you come in every week, just want to give you a heads up. There are Bibles on both sides of the doors. Grab one when you come in. Use it while you're here. Put it back when you leave if that's what you'd like to do. If you don't have a Bible, though, these are here so that you can take one. This would be our gift to you today. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to. you to own your own Bible, and we'll give you this as our gift as you leave today. So he begins this way, or ends this way in Romans 7, what we ended last week. By the way, just a kind of a word here as we go forward just a little bit. Last week, I think I mentioned this in this service. I may not have. I hope you drank lots of coffee this morning, okay? I'm going to need you to listen really quickly, okay? So that's what we're going to do. And So I'm going fast. You're already going, oh, he's going so fast. I don't even know what he said so far. And I hope you do. Uh, And I'll uh, allow the Spirit to interpret this today because we're going to go through most of Romans 8 today. And we're going to look at that in context of this whole idea of Romans 6 and 7. Here's how he ends Romans 7, okay? Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's laws, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So what did we say last week? Those verses give us a kind of a process that we would go through when we sin. First is, I confess my sin. He says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Oh, what a miserable man I am. Oh, what a wretched man, some translations say. So he's confessed the fact that he sinned. He acknowledges that. Second of all, he's admitted his need. He says, who can save me from my sin? He didn't say, what can save me from my sin? He said, who can save me from my sin? And then he says, it's Jesus Christ. And we talked last week about that whole idea is to express our gratitude that God's given us away apart from rules or regulations or religion or effort for me to be made clean with him and to have this sin problem take care, taken care of. And that's in Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he ends verse 25, kind of the way he's gone through the whole chapter. And he says this, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's laws, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So what I want to do today is I'm going to just kind of walk through Romans 8 from this whole idea of if I have distorted thinking, if I have distorted thinking, I'm not going to be free. And in fact, if I have distorted thinking, it's going to keep me stuck. Okay, primarily, we're talking about in my relationship with God, it's going to keep me stuck. And God wants you to be free. In fact, you can leave here free today of the place you've been stuck in in your relationship with God because I'm going to cover the key component that keeps us stuck in our relationship with God as we go through Romans 8. Okay, here we go. Three ideas. First is this. Changing my distorted thinking begins when I focus on God's grace, not my guilt. It begins when I focus on God's grace, not my guilt. So some of us, we walk around... And what we focus on most as we walk around is our guilt. We focus on our shame. We feel our guilt and our shame intensely, and we're locked into that because it is a place that we know that we don't want to be, that we know that God doesn't want us to be, and yet we're not sure what to do with it, and and we walk around, and we're focusing on the guilt we feel rather than the grace God's given And so what I want to do here is just to kind of help us to get free from that place where we would be focusing too much on our guilt. In fact, you know, just a heads up here, you should only feel guilty for about a second. Okay? And that's as long as it takes you to confess your sin, admit your need. You know, so that's as as long as you should feel guilty. If you feel guilty for more than about a second after you've done that, then that's not true guilt. That's false guilt. And that's what we're going to look at in just a minute in Romans chapter 8, that he wants you to be free from. And that's what a lot of us are stuck in today is false guilt based on something we've done in the past, based on something that someone told us about ourselves, and we feel shame, and we feel guilt, and we're not unable to, we're not able to escape that because we feel locked into it, but he literally wants us to be free of that guilt and that shame in our past. This is what he says, Romans 8, 1 through 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So he's just made this old switch. You know, I, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. I am a sinful man, not a sinner, a sinful man, a saint who sins. So, and I'm in this struggle and in this conflict. He says, oh, but you know what? There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, and those, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. Would you circle that? Has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses wasn't able to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Okay, I'm a sinner. I have the law of Moses, I'm I'm, I'm unable to keep the law, I'm unable to keep God's rule, so the law can't save me, it only shows me that I need to be saved, that's what it does, I'm unable to keep those, and that's what he's saying here, so God did what the law couldn't do, he declared an end to sin's control over us, no longer under the control of sin, by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins, so Jesus now, because he came and died on the cross and sacrificed for us, he made it possible for us to now be saved free from guilt. For us to be right with God, I couldn't do it on my own, but because of what Christ did when I receive him, I am free. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, so I just want to give you some, you know, kind of thoughts about that. The word condemnation is the key word in that whole section, the word condemnation. That word condemnation basically means to have a judgment against, to have a judgment against. To be condemned or to be guilty means that there is something against you, that someone has something against you, and therefore there's a debt that must be paid. There's a liability uh, on your account that you must take care of. And so what this is saying, this, saying is that even though we are capable—here's the cool thing— even though we are capable of wrongdoing, which we're all capable of, capable of a sin— there is nothing, nothing we can do that will create a liability or a debt between us and God. Absolutely nothing. When we are in Christ, absolutely nothing we do that can create a liability or a debt between us and God. Here's three truths you need to understand. One, God does not reject me when I sin. Really? He, and you want to write these on the first side of your notes because and, and, there's no room on the back. Okay, so first, he doesn't reject me when I sin, if you want to write that down. And some of you are going, wow, you know what, I thought he did. I thought when I sinned, he rejected me, and that's why I feel all this guilt and all this shame, and that's why I feel this separation. Two, God is not angry at me when I sin. Really? God is not angry at me if I sin. That would be a liability. Three, God does not punish me when I sin. God doesn't some of you think that the life you're living is a punishment from God for what you've done in the past and so you can't get rid of your sin. I mean can't get rid of your guilt and shame because you feel that somehow you've got to make up for that thing in the past somewhere. So what Paul does he says there's no there's no liability. When he uses the word no, he uses the strongest word for no that his language could it could use in that day. So it's no, 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 absolutely no. I just say it with firm confidence. I would say it this way that it's, it, you cannot change this. Uh, you can count on it. There's absolutely no way that you can be condemned. So there's nothing you can do when you say yes to Christ, when you're a saint. Nothing you can do that will cause you to be condemned. You only have guilt for as long as it takes you to what? Confess it. And you can be free of that, and so you do not have to carry around guilt and shame the rest of your life. Don't have to do that. And he wants you to be free, and he wants you to change your thinking. Now, here's the deal. One of the problems, one of the reasons we stay stuck is, is that we have, you know, false ideas about how, what we need to do to please God or how we can get unstuck. So we have these ideas. and uh, the, One of the main uh, false ideas is uh, propagated by religion. Religion. So we, get, we think that if I can want to deal with this problem that I have uh, and guilt and shame, then I need to just now gain religion. Well, all religions have one thing in common, or several things in common. All religions have several things in common, and they can be described this way. I read this this week. I think it's awesome. Here's religion. You ought to, you don't, you're toast. <laughs> that's religion. You ought to, you don't, you're toast. Okay, so that's the way it is. That's religion. Just pick a religion, okay? Just pick a religion, and you're gonna hear the religious leader say, Here's what you ought to do. And you say, I will. And you don't. And they say, You're in trouble. That's the way it works. Any religion, you just pick any religion. Here's what you ought to do. You say, I will. I'll do my best. And you don't. And they say, You're in trouble. And so what happens is, in fact, this is what C.S. Lewis says about religion. Love his quote. All religions have laws and rules in common. And then he gives us, you know, just a small list uh, to make his point. Rules like don't hurt others, don't lie, don't have sex with anyone until you're married, care for the poor, sick. I mean, I'll say that in a better way. Don't have sex with anyone you're not married to. That's a better way to say that, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then care for the poor and sick and hurting. So every religion has you know kind of the steps or the rules or the regulations that you have to approach god or to appease god or to find approval in god and so we try to do those things because we know those things are ultimately good but it's just like focusing on the law we're not able to actually do those things and what happens is we inevitably fail and what religion does it says you failed you're guilty now try harder just try harder. And they give you another rule or they just reiterate the old rules and say, you've got to keep doing these, keep doing these, keep doing this, You're guilty, now try harder. You're guilty, and I'll try harder. How many of you ever thought that way or felt that? And when you get stuck like that, thinking that God doesn't accept you and that you're just guilty and you're just trying harder and you just fail and fail and fail and fail and you end up stuck in that place. And what happens over time is, is that you don't believe God can ever love you. Maybe may not say that, but inside you feel that, that he can't accept you, and so then your approach is if, if you're, you know, to either find another religion, find more rules, find more regulations, or to distance yourself from God. You'd say, I can't please him, so I'm going to distance myself from him, and so you know, usually for most people, that's the first step is just to quit going to church, you know, okay, if church was the place where I went to talk about God and hear God, then I'm going to distance myself from church, and I run into people all the time who don't go to church anymore, and it's because eventually they got tired of being on the treadmill of trying to please and prove themselves to God, and couldn't grasp this whole idea of being free, and so their only, you know, way that they saw that they could be free was just to escape from being told what God said, and so they move away from church, or they move away from God, and then they end up even more miserable, or they have to anesthetize themselves. And I'm not talking just substances, I'm talking through materialism, through sexuality, uh, through all the ways that we can, you know, uh, in our culture, we can, you know, anesthetize ourselves by going after success. Uh, or that we can do chemicals and all the ways we do that just to kind of say, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And so what God says is, I want you to be free of that. I want you to be free of guilt, and I want you to be free from shame. And here's why, how you can be free from guilt and free from shame. Instead of focusing on guilt, focus on God's grace. Focus on the grace that God wants to shed on you, that he wants to shower on you. And so you will sin, okay? You can sin. I'll say it better. You can sin. You don't have to sin. And when you do, you have a choice whether you're going to continue to carry guilt or shame for that. You can release it and give it away. And then what happens is, is that you don't have, great, you have guilt anymore, but God showers you with his grace, his free gift, and you can walk with your head held high knowing that God accepts you, knowing that there's no condemnation coming against you because you are what? in. Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you, you do not have to be guilty. You do not have to walk around with guilt and shame. So that's the first idea. That's the first idea that Paul gets at in this section. And I, I just think that, um, just personally, just how I, my brain works and, and um, functions, and I know I came from kind of a guilt-shame um, paradigm, is that um, this is the most freeing thought for me that God's ever given. and It's not the first time he's given it to me, but you know what, I can find myself getting caught back up and wrapped up in the whole idea of of having to earn favor or uh, that I know I've sinned, or I know I've done wrong, and instead of just confessing it immediately and admitting that I have a need, I carry that, and I think, what can I do, what can I do? And that creates anxiety, that creates worry, that creates stress, actually causes you to overfunction in a lot of ways, and so he says, no, I want you to be free. I don't want you to walk around that way and from uh, living with a distorted reality, but I want you to walk around under grace, knowing that you're free with your head held high and that knowing that God accepts you and God approves of you, even if others don't, okay? Even if others don't in that place. So that's the first idea. Second idea is this. I changed my distorted thinking. It begins when I focus on God's Holy Spirit, not my strength. When I focus on God's Holy Spirit, not my strength. I'm going to read several verses beginning with verse 5. And he says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Makes sense. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Holy Spirit. Makes sense. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, leads to destruction, leads to guilt, leads to shame, leads to being stuck, leads to having a poor relationship with God, leads to having poor relationships with others because you can't relate to others when you have guilt and shame. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. You know, if I were to we all want life and peace, right? So we all like that. We, and so living in the Spirit leads to that. For the sinful nature is, you might circle that, always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. Okay, over here. When I was a sinner, I never did obey God's laws, and I shunned them. That nature I still carry forward. It says it never did obey God's laws, And it never will. So I'm going to carry this sinful nature for the rest of my life. It will still want to disobey God's laws. That's why those are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled. Notice that. You are not controlled. You might circle that. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. You might underline that. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And we all know that the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God lives in you. He places a Spirit in you because he says this. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. So that same Spirit uh, that Paul says, resurrection power, that's the Spirit that's living inside of you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So before we come to Christ, and then sometimes when we get distracted, even when we know Christ, and some of you have been there, and uh, like I say, that's why we drop out of church, we drop out of religion, and maybe some of you are coming back to church just to check it out to see if they have a different message or a different song today. And so you come back, or maybe you're new to this, and it says this, before we came to Christ, we're consumed in the cycle of trying to change our external behaviors, Believing that if I change my external behaviors, then even though the internal may not change, I'll just look better and I'll be more acceptable to other people because I've changed my external behaviors. And I'll just say it this way, folks you need to hear me. On your own, you cannot please God. On your own, you cannot please God. You can't obey God on your own. You can't accomplish righteousness on your own. You cannot accomplish what God wants you to accomplish through your own willpower. You just can't do it. Before you said yes to Jesus, willpower was your only hope and it failed. After you say yes to Jesus, anytime you rely on willpower, it will fail. It will fail. But now that you're in Christ, you have a new power, the power of Jesus living inside of you. You can change because God has given you his power If you're in Christ, he's given you his power, and you have a power that's greater than your willpower. Now, it's pretty amazing, uh, just kind of a sidebar here, that when you're reading Romans, and Romans 1 through 7, in Romans 1 through 7, Paul only mentions the Holy Spirit one time. The whole of Romans one through seven is about our sinfulness and our nature and uh, why we need Christ and then what Christ is going to do. But the Holy Spirit's only mentioned one time in chapter eight. Paul mentions the Holy Spirit eight, 19 times, nineteen times, because he's saying, "Okay, here's we go. Here we're going to change now. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to rely on God's Spirit in your life." He's making a point. I can't, but the Holy Spirit can. I can't, but the Holy Spirit can. Now, I had a pract- uh, chance to practice this on Wednesday, so I'm going to tell you a failure story, okay? I think we need more failure stories in church, don't you? Yeah, so here's a failure story, okay? This is from Wednesday. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, we had a memorial service here in our church uh, for Tammy Cook, and Tammy was part of our vocal team for a long time. Uh, she died of cancer recently. Uh, it's a long fight, a uh, really courageous fight with cancer, and many of you know she sang here, and I would say here because she was always right here, always right there on our stage, and then she was singing the choir as well. So we had a memorial service, and after a memorial service, we had a fellowship time in our lobby, and uh, folks were hanging around, and there were a couple of tables with food on them. And, and as I walked out, I was kind of the first ones to walk out of the memorial service, uh, sitting towards the back, and I walked by the tables, and as I walked by, I just kind of glanced at the goodies on those tables as I went by, and I caught eye of Texas sheet cake. You guys you may not know what Texas sheet cake is. Oh, my. It is a thin chocolate cake. It looks kind of like brownies, only it's chocolate cake, with a thick layering of chocolate frosting right on top. Okay, Texas, my mouth's watering, even getting there, okay? So immediately when I walked by, I didn't even think about it. I just grabbed a piece and, you know, scarfed it in, okay? didn't even think about it. Didn't even keep it in my mind that, oh, you should stop and think about this. So I failed right away uh, when I did that. But then this is what happened. This is the journey my mind went through later. So later, I come back into the lobby, and, and I'm noticing that there's still pieces. There were two tables set up with the exact same things. And there were, you know, they both had Texas sheet cake on them on this platter, and so I'm just looking at that, and so then I start talking to other people, and saying, "You should try some of that Texas sheet cake. Oh, it's just amazing! The best thing there. You should try this Texas sheet cake. Texas sheet cake. Texas sheet cake. Texas." So I was all I'm thinking about is Texas sheet cake. It's just going through my mind, and then I'm standing there going, "You know, I can't do this." I can't do this. My kids are telling me I need to lose weight, and I'm trying to do it. And if I go over there, I'm gonna break my, my word with my kids, and I'm gonna lose some weight by a certain date and make this happen. And so I'm talking, and I said, you know what, I can't do this. The guy next to me, I can't do this. I'm not gonna go. You go, you have a piece, and you don't have a piece, I'm not gonna have a piece. So I'm standing there the whole time staring at this Texas sheet cake, saying, I'm not gonna have any. And then as I'm gonna walk away to my office, I walked right over to the table, grabbed a piece, <laughs> Oh, why do you listen to me? I wonder. (laughs) All that to say, that's the strength of willpower. That's the strength of willpower. Holy Spirit was whispering to me all the time, constantly whispering to me that I shouldn't go take that sheet. Do not, do not do that, you know, because you know what's going to do. You know you're calling, you know whole thing. you know, no, 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 you know, no. But I thought, you know, I stared at it, stared at it, stared at it, stared at it too long until I gave in, and by willpower, I failed. And folks, here's what I want to say today about this. If you spend all of your time thinking, I think I, can, I think I 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 can, that's a storybook. That's not reality. It's just not reality. You cannot or you would. And so you need to tap into the power of God's Holy Spirit. He gives you, he was speaking. I could say no at that moment, but I didn't. I didn't say no at that moment. So here's what you need to hear. You need to hear this and just kind of, you know, wrap up this point. Because Jesus Christ lives in you, you have a new power to say no. He's not going to control you. I mean, he's not going to, you know, just keep you from grabbing that cheatcake. But he's now giving you a new power to say no, and you get to choose what you do with that. You get to choose. And God wants you to say yes to him and no to your flesh. But you say yes to him, and he will set you free. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verses 12 through 14. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Notice that. No obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, children of Him. Okay, third idea is this, and we'll kind of wrap up today. Changing my distorted thinking begins when I focus on God's promises, not my problems. When I focus on His promises, not my problems. And so Paul ends all of Romans 8, and I'm not going to cover all the verses in Romans 8 that he ends with. I've kind of of selected some that I want to read Uh, just to kind of give us an example of what Paul's talking about. But beginning with verse 28, he says this. Here's the promises, okay? Focus on the promises, not your problems. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who will then condemn us? He goes all the way back to verse one. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Now, the reason why I'm ending with this today, and I believe more than likely, the reason that Paul directed his thoughts when he was writing Romans chapter 8, as we call it in our world today, is that so many of us have a distorted view of what God's promised us and why we don't think he's coming through. Why we don't think he's coming through. And so, we get confused. And so, what happens is we believe That God's promises are due to us based upon our correct choices, that God's promises come to us based upon our behavior, that God's promises come to us based upon our keeping now back to rules and regulations. So we said yes to Christ by faith, we received grace, and now many of us think that we keep ourselves in Christ and we open ourselves up to God's blessings by works again. By our own effort, by our own abilities, by our own willpower. See, here's what God's promise. I just want to just you know help us to understand that God's promise He'll forgive us. You read that in those verses that God's promise He'll forgive us. God's promise that He will take uh, the wrecks of our lives, the failures of our lives, and that He will work that into good for us in some way. God says that He's promised to make us to be like Christ. And when he says that, uh, we're, I don't know about you, but I'm a long ways from being like Christ. And so that means that there's going to be a lot of chiseling that goes on uh, for him to make me like Christ. And that means it's going to be sometimes painful. And so if I look at my life and think that it, if the only way that I know God's promises are coming true for me is if I'm pain-free, that's a that's distorted thinking. That's totally distorted thinking. There are times that God does allow pain into our lives because that's the only way that we're going to be able to chink take off a chunk or a chink of us so that we can look more like christ and so we can move in that process he's promised that he will that he can use us i love that because here's what you know a lot of us feel that because of our guilt because of our shame because of our failures because of our mistakes that we are no longer usable to god no longer usable by him that somehow we think that god had plan a and i just screwed up plan a and so now there's no plan b and i'm just out and you've heard me say before, it's not, not even original with me in any way, there is no plan B with God. There is only plan A. As I turn and move to him and I repent and I you know, confess and repent and turn to him, I'm in his plan A. And so I'm usable. And so some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, God can't use me because you've got this voice in your head this tempter in your head saying you're not usable, you're not usable, you're not usable because you know, you know what you did. You, you still remember those acts and Satan will keep you remembering them more and more. They're still there. He says you're not usable and so you say, well, I guess not because I am guilty. But then Paul says you're not guilty. You did wrong, but you're not guilty and you are free. And you, those promises, every one of, all of the promises in the book are for you. And some of you think, well, those are promises only for the good people. Those promises are only for the people that are, you know, you you have your categories and you say they're not for me. Or maybe you're selective in the promises you think might be for you. And what I want to leave you with today, the thought I want to leave you with, is that God is for you. Would you write that on the bottom of your notes? Just write it down, just to take with you. Write, God is for me. God is for me. That's clear thinking. I have a friend, he called it nine level thinking. That's clear thinking. God is for you. And you can trust him that every promise in this book is for you. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to move out of this distorted thinking because if you live in the position of distorted thinking and you believe that it was, it's all about you and your abilities, what happens is, is that um, you become the center of your world and you believe everything rides or falls on you and your efforts and your behaviors. And as long as you are in the center of your world, I can guarantee you, you're going to fail. I can guarantee it. What God says is to take yourself out of the center and trust in me and my promises. And when I'm in the center of your life, when I'm in the center of your world and you're letting me call the shots and you're following me, I guarantee you what happens is what I want. And you can trust the promises I have for you. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for your word and the power in it and just just what you did in me this week even and set me free. And I know that the potential's there, that we could all be free today. Right now, some of us are listening to all the objections, why we can't be. And, uh, Lord, I, I pray right now that we would take those and we'd realize that those are not from you. That if we have confessed our sin and we have admitted our need, that we are clean and that we have nothing to be guilty about, feel guilty about, no reason to feel shame, that we can walk out of here today being free. In fact, we can be free every day because we live under the showers of your grace in our lives, God. Lord, I know that there are people here that have never said yes to Jesus before, and and so they still wear the the label, Sinner. And if you'd like to change that label today, I'll just give you an opportunity. You'd say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, I've sinned. I admit that today. I admit I'm a sinner. Uh, here's my pile, my whole pile. I'm going to place it at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to tell you, I need you to forgive me. I can't, I've tried through religion. I've tried through success. I've tried through work. I've tried through materialism. I've tried through relationships. I've tried all these ways to gain approval, and they all failed me. And I declare today that I need you. And I need you. Cleanse me and set me free. And then all of us would say that we will live the rest of our lives for you, believing that all the promises in the book are for us, living by faith, experiencing your presence wherever we go, and that we would then be your witnesses as well of the wonder of God's grace in our lives. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.